a protracted standoff between a major oil company and northern indigenous American tribes intensified today. Resistance to construction of the Enbridge Line 3 tar sands pipeline continued Thursday in northern Minnesota. A pipeline battle brewing in Minnesota, today with the largest show of resistance yet. The fight to stop the Line 3 pipeline is a critical battle against the construction of new fossil fuel infrastructure. The pipeline would carry almost a million barrels worth of tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada to Wisconsin, threatening wetlands where the Ojibwe indigenous people hold treaty rights. Thousands of activists have joined protests against the construction of Line 3 in northern Minnesota. But the fight isn't just happening in Minnesota. Stop the Money Pipeline is an organization that is fighting Line 3 and other dangerous fossil fuel infrastructure projects by going after their money. On this episode of Generation Green New Deal, our producer Nate Birnbaum speaks with Jackie Fielder and Alex Conan of Stop the Money Pipeline about Line 3 and how activists can use pressure on banks and investors to keep fossil fuels where they belong, in the ground. So where did this idea of going after banks and financial institutions to stop fossil fuel pipelines come from? Stop the Money Pipeline launched in January of 2020. And up until that point, there were uh, sophisticated and dedicated campaigns to holding the banks accountable for their role in the climate crisis. But we weren't all necessarily talking to one another or collaborating and then um, towards the end of 2019, there was a retreat in Vermont that 40 or maybe 45 uh, climate finance campaigners from around the country um, attended and Stop the Money Pipeline really grew out of that. And so Stop the Money Pipeline was intended to be this coalition of coalitions, this uh, umbrella campaign that you really unites and unifies and amplifies all of the work around holding the financial sector accountable for its role in the climate crisis. And that really is our, our mission, is to um, force financial institutions to stop funding um, companies that are engaged in climate destruction and the abuses of Indigenous rights and uh, human rights. I think a lot of the attention to the financial sector has been renewed since the Dakota Access Pipeline fight um, that began in early 2016 and then ballooned in late 2016. And it was around the fall that a really sophisticated defund DAPL campaign launched it actually launched at Standing Rock among the tribe who vowed to break up with Wells Fargo and spread to cities like Seattle and San Francisco, which is how I got involved, and spread across the country really to, to hold cities and these large pots of money and renewed attention to pensions and colleges and, and their funding of of either energy transfer or relationships with Wall Street banks that have somewhat of a stake in in the pipeline. How does the mechanism of putting pressure on financial institutions and financiers of fossil fuel pipelines and infrastructure, how does that directly support the work of activists on the ground? 
I, I think putting pressure on financiers is a great way of supporting the activists on the front lines of fossil fuel fights for a variety of reasons, but probably the most powerful one is related to movement building. And a, let's take a project like Line 3, for example, um, which is a multi-billion dollar project that has a lot of power behind it, that's trying to get it built. And it's going to take a, a national movement to stop something like Line 3, just like it took a national movement to stop Keystone XL. But a lot of people, when they, they look at Line 3, you know, it feels maybe far away or it's unclear how they can have an impact on that fight. But by launching a campaign like Defund Line 3 that's focused on the financiers, it gives everyone an opportunity to take action on the campaign in their own community. It's so obvious that Wall Street, especially, and when I say Wall Street, I mean banks, insurance companies, though they're not traditionally a part of Wall Street, um, asset managers, institutional investors like BlackRock, they all have a tendency to stick with the status quo, which is growth and more oil and more fossil fuels in general, when all of the the kind of little measures that they've taken in, you know, whenever have really been because of the pressure of activists. Can you talk about what the specifics of Line 3's climate impacts look like? So Line 3 at this moment in history is is uh, a criminal act and it is a deeply immoral act. To put it into context, I'm from Scotland, was born and raised in Scotland before moving to the, the US about a decade ago. And uh, my mum still lives in Scotland. And I um, was telling my mum that I was traveling to Minnesota for a, a protest against Line 3. And I uh, was searching for a way to explain to her why it was so important. And by Enbridge's own environmental impact statements, um, assessments, um, Line 3 would add 193 million tonnes of greenhouse gas to our atmosphere every year. So I thought, well, I wonder what the greenhouse gas impact of the country of Scotland is in comparison. And I thought, you know, it might be comparable. So I was going to use that as a story to tell my mum about why I was going to risk arrest at a pipeline protest. Um, and I was shocked to learn that Line 3's greenhouse gas footprint will actually be 4.5 times larger than the entire country of Scotland, which I think helps put it into context. It's not just one more pipeline um, to give another way of, of sharing it, the, the greenhouse gas footprint of Line 3, which it's tar sands oil, which is the most carbon intensive form, uh, most environmentally devastating form of oil on our earth that will that will flow through there. Um, the climate impact that it'll have will be the same as 50 new coal fired power plants, or the same as the entire nation of Argentina, which is a far larger country than, than Scotland. Um, so it is far from just one more pipeline. Building Line 3 is completely and utterly incompatible with the goals of the Paris Agreement, completely and utterly incompatible with the goals of a Green New Deal, um, completely and utterly incompatible with preventing catastrophic climate change. And so if we're in any way serious about 
climate justice, if we're about in any way serious about preserving a, a livable planet for future generations, this pipeline just cannot be built. It's it's as simple as that. This line three project goes through um, dozens of waterways, of fresh waterways in Minnesota, you know, the land of 10,000 lakes. And it was Enbridge who just in a decade ago was responsible for one of the largest oil spills in U.S. history at Kalamazoo in Michigan. So this, this pipeline is in complete contradiction of what experts, scientists, um, and indigenous people really have been saying for a long time. So what are, what are the parallels that you're seeing from law enforcement agencies in the U.S. state or nationally um, from Dakota Access to Line 3? Yeah, so in, in the Dakota Access Pipeline fight, we saw law enforcement not just at the county level, but at the state level in North Dakota and outside of the state of North Dakota, law enforcement agencies coming in to police indigenous peoples and allies protecting the water. Same thing is happening in Minnesota right now. About 500 people have been arrested just in the past year, I believe, in protesting this pipeline. And for comparison, 800 people were arrested in protesting the Dakota X pipeline. Enbridge is a foreign oil company from Canada, and they have put money into an escrow account for law enforcement agencies in the in Minnesota to basically hire them to protect the pipeline. And just this past week, we saw activists, peaceful activists, indigenous people, Anishinaabe people going back to one of the camps and they encountered a, a riot line of cops you know, only dozens of miles away from the site of George Floyd's murder, too. This is the same state um, looking to exploit the the particular positioning of Indigenous peoples as being historically exploited and invisible and ignorable. And now that they're actually rising up and saying, taking a stand for their treaty rights, which should be protected by the U.S. Constitution in Article Six. We can talk about that later. Um, now that now that Indigenous people are are speaking up, they're cracking down immensely, and all at the at the behest of a foreign oil, oil company. We literally have the receipts that Minnesota police have used to get reimbursed by Enbridge for things like riot gear and gas masks. A, a fossil fuel company is paying for tear gas and for the militarization of police in rural Minnesota. And just about two months ago, there was a beautiful, powerful Indigenous-led action that involved seven Indigenous water protectors um, praying in a prayer lodge surrounded by allies. And uh, those, in, those indigenous folks who were in prayer were um, shackled, strip searched and kenneled by Minnesota police in response. At the recent mass protest treaty people gathering, a Department of Homeland Security helicopter deliberately rotor washed protesters flying 10, 20 feet off the grounds 
where it's incredibly dusty and, and blowing up uh, dust and dirt into the face of, of protesters three or four times. And so we're already seeing uh, police brutality in northern Minnesota in defense of a, of a fossil fuel company and not just in defense of a fossil fuel company, but we're seeing police brutality and get against indigenous water protectors that's being paid for by a fossil fuel company. And if that doesn't uh, speak to the, the heart of, of corruption, I, I don't know what does. So Jackie, you just kind of referenced um, Article 6 in the, in the US Constitution and, and treaties rights. And I'm wondering if you could just talk about the sort of the specifics um, about, you know, in, in line three there, as you said, there's many waterways that, that the pipeline crosses. The Anishinaabe have the right to hunt fish and gather medicine and harvest wild rice on those lands. Um, so can you can you just talk about the violations to their treaty rights that are taking place? Yeah, the Line 3 pipeline spans northern Minnesota and it crosses the Leech Lake, Fond du Lac reservations and the 1855, 54 and 42 treaty areas. And these treaties are intended to ensure that the indigenous peoples have a right to hunt, fish, gather water, etc. And in the U.S. Constitution, Article 6 states that treaties are the supreme, to be upheld as the supreme law of the land. All of their citizens have treaty rights, have rights to those waters, have rights to hunt, to fish, to gather there. And just this past week, we saw the sheriffs in a particular northern Minnesota county blatantly violate that and actually posted an eviction notice for a piece of, of land that was has been historically protected and um, recognized by the state as, uh, as being a part of that, under that treaty jurisdiction. And there's a prayerful camp here by a tribal member. And the county sheriff just got really upset and decided, well, that's over. And so clearly, and as Tara Hauska, Anishinaabe tribal attorney and founder of GNU Collective has said, they clearly either do not understand, they being Minnesota State, uh, do not understand or do not care to uphold treaty rights, um, which should be recognized everywhere in the U.S., how does defund Line 3's strategy of using banks' existing climate commitments, commitments on the books that they have uh, in many cases to be net zero by 2050, how are you using those commitments in your defund Line 3 work? Yeah, thinking about how part of what we're doing is holding the banks accountable to their own climate commitments. I think the first thing to recognize is that they do have climate commitments on the books and those are nowhere near good enough. In the past 12 months, we've seen pretty much every major financial institution and, and every major Wall Street bank has either made a, a net zero by 2050 um, commitment or, or a slightly more vague Paris alignment um, commitment. And, you know, I think an understanding of climate science and climate justice uh, leads you pretty quickly to, to understand that 
net zero by 2050 is not fast enough and not good enough. So, but with that said, um, these banks have made recent climate commitments that are uh, notably better than anything that they have done up until now. And yet, even though these commitments are not strong enough and not quick enough, they're still funding projects that are in clearly in direct violation of those commitments. Um, to, to take it back to, to line three and the defund line three campaign, there is no planet in which building line three is compatible even with a net zero scenario by 2050. Build, if line three is built, it will be operational for decades and it will be moving the most carbon intensive form of oil through its pipes for decades. There's no world in which that's compatible, even with a two week to slow 2050 net zero emissions commitment like the banks have made. So part of what we're doing is um, calling out the financial institutions greenwashing. And I really think this is the next front in corporate campaigning. Um, now that outright climate denial is, is no longer tenable as a strategy for major corporations, um, we're seeing the next phase of climate denial, which is corporate greenwashing and saying the right things on climate, but actually continuing with business as usual and hoping that green PR will be enough to allow them to continue with business as usual and to continue to put profit over people and planet. Um, and I think the, the Exxon scandal that broke earlier this week in which a top Exxon executive spelled out how even ExxonMobil understands that outright climate denial is no longer legitimate. And so it's pushing uh, things like a carbon tax, which it knows will never pass, um, and funding shadow groups. You know, we're seeing a lot of these same strategies from the financial institutions that are equally complicit in the climate crisis as, as Exxon themselves. You know, coming up later this month, there's another round of billions of dollars worth of loans from financial institutions who have supported line three. Um, um, they're coming up for renewal. So can you just talk a little bit about what that what that means financially and then also what the campaign and, and pressure that Stop the Money Pipeline and other activists will be applying to those institutions over the next few weeks um, looks like? So on... Um... July 22nd and July 23rd, there are three major corporate loans to Enbridge that are due for renewal. These three loans that are due for renewal uh, expire on, as I said, uh, July 22nd and 23rd, and they're worth $4.6 billion total. And so these loans are essential financial services that are being provided to Enbridge without which it couldn't afford to build massive new toxic pipelines like Line 3. So we're um, putting as much pressure as possible on um, all of the big banks that are involved in these loans to make it as clear as possible um, that they need to take this opportunity, um, this dis decision point, um, this fork in the road where they have a really clear uh, decision to make to double down and keep funding line three or walk away from line three. We're making it really clear through using a variety of tactics, um, digital tactics like um, 
having hundreds and hundreds of people call talk, top executives and CEOs demanding that they walk away from the loans or sending them tens of thousands of emails or thousands of Google Calendar invites for July 22nd, reminding them that that's the day to break up with Enbridge or, uh, or mass protests outside of bank branches and bank headquarters. And so we hope all of that is making it really clear that people are watching what they do when these loans um, expire and are due for renewal and um, that there will be consequences if they choose to renew those loans. So if someone hears this and they want to get involved, where, where can they go? What, what actions can they take? Yeah, as, as you know, the renewal dates for those loans are, are coming up fast. And now is really the key time to put as much pressure as possible on these financial institutions. So if anyone's listening and, and wondering what they can do, I would encourage them to go on to Stop the Money Pipeline's website, which is just stopthemoneypipeline.com and go to our line three page, which is stopthemoneypipeline.com slash line three. And there's a whole host of actions that people can take there uh, to help us put as much pressure as possible on the banks funding this horrific project. Thanks so much to Alec and Jackie for joining us. If you want to support their work and take action against Line 3, go to stopthemoneypipeline.org slash line 3. Those loans renew on July 23rd, so now is the time. Generation Green New Deal is supported by you, our listeners. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash generationgnd. Follow us on social media at generationgnd. Jackie and Alec are also on Twitter. They are at JackieFielder underscore and at Alec Conan. This episode was hosted by Nate Birnbaum, who created the show with me, Sam Eilertson. Noah Foley-Bining edited this episode and Michael Catano did the mix. Thanks for listening.